educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome aboard the Monday edition. Happy Monday to all of you. So delighted you chose to tune in on your way home or fixing dinner, whatever you're getting ready to do on this, uh, my goodness, 48 degrees at 5.09, Monday, January 29th. The sun, can you believe it? The sun, we remembered what it looked like. Oh, what a delight to uh, to wake up to that. Uh, boy, it was a great weekend, and I hope you got to enjoy some of it. And, uh, yeah, let's get with this. Uh, well, coming up in just a second, Flatwater Free Press, editor Matthew Hansen will join us, and investigative reporter Natalie Almadari. Uh, a big story. Uh, teenagers are being locked up in solitary confinement in Nebraska facilities. Uh, and uh, so a lot of people are uh, looking at this story, and so uh, I encourage you to read it, but we'll bring both of them on in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, let's build up instead of tear down truth over tribalism, principle over partisanship. Uh, yeah. So Johnny Cadillac, our producer extraordinaire, is is on vacation on a boat somewhere. Uh, and so... Uh, Caleb Henry from The Morning Show is filling in, and uh, Steve Hardesy is also going to be in here in a few minutes. And, and Caleb, you brought your sidekick along. <laughs> yep, Mill, Millie's running around in here somewhere. <laughs> you got you got dad duty, you got producer duty, you got all kinds of duties, my friend. So that's that's all right. We appreciate it very much. Well, uh, if you um, if you haven't writ, uh, written, if you haven't read uh, Flatwater Free Press uh, story, uh, Stuck in Solidarity, More Nebraska Teens Locked in Room Confinement Despite State Law uh, That's Meant to Limit It, I encourage you to go to flatwaterfreepress.org and, and uh, check that story out, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. And it's my pleasure to welcome onto the phone lines Mr. Matthew Hansen, the editor of Flatwater Free Press. Matthew, welcome aboard. Thanks, Dan. You ever, um, um, do, do any of the reporters, uh, maybe they're not old enough, any of the reporters uh, bring their kiddos into the office ever to, uh, to have a, a day at the office? We actually have two sets of twins who oh, nice. are the uh, children of, of Flatwater uh, employees. But no, they haven't really, they haven't, you know, we haven't, uh, they haven't done any copy editing or any photo <laughs> taking yet. Uh, I think they, I think they need to get, a, they're both uh, set, two sets of toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> so I think when they get a little older, they might, uh, they might hang out with, uh, with mom or dad inside the Flatwater office. But they, they came, uh, one of the sets came to the Christmas party, though. Oh, nice. So that was, that was a highlight. Yeah. Oh, Caleb's got little Millie, uh, tagging along with him. He's pulling double duty. So it's kind of fun to have the kiddos, uh, around. And, uh, anyway, well, this is a great story. And let me bring on, uh, Natalie Amadari. Uh, Natalie, welcome aboard. Appreciate uh, you taking time to join us. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Matthew, uh, you want to set this story up and, uh, and brag about uh, Natalie's work? Yeah. Um, Natalia, uh, you know, worked on this for a couple of weeks, and it's sort of right where we want to be for Flatwater. This is, some of the stuff had already been previously reported. It, it was from this in, Inspector General's report, and it sounds like you're going to have her on later in the show, yes. which is which is um, great. But what we want to do at Flatwater, one of the things we want to do is take a story like this that, you know, um, 
can can be covered in a day and uh, spend more time with it, right? Uh, try to learn more about uh, how a thing like, I mean, because it's a pretty shocking uh, headline, right? Uh, more Nebraska kids are spending more time uh, in solitary confinement. Um, and so Natalia did a, did a really nice job of, of finding, um, you know, parents and kids uh, affected by this uh, and also, uh, you know, learning more about the kind of uh, psychological impact the health impacts um, this can have on on teenagers who end up spending uh, a lot of time um, in solitary confinement. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an important story, and I appreciate appreciate you guys covering it uh, because that's yeah. This is another great example of of digging into a story. Like you said, uh, uh, the Inspector General um, uh, Jennifer Carter uh, uh, put out a report. Um, recently and talking about this problem and so yeah you guys dove into it natalie thank you for uh for joining us and um i'll just if you don't mind i'll uh i'll just read your lead here and and let you uh, uh comment on this but uh, you write that a 16 year old uh, won't tell his mom much about the days he spends locked alone in a room uh, he fells falls silent when his mother uh, brings it up over the phone. Uh, he shuts down in person after she makes her weekly drive from Omaha through the barbed wire fences of Carney's Youth Rehabilitation Treatment Center and asks about it. The teenager routinely spends days at a time in solitary confinement where he's landed after shoving a staff member, getting into a fist fight with another kid, and stealing a water gun. Um, and then you write, uh, in early November, um, uh, the woman's son went radio silent, and she learned that her son had spent a week in solitary. She fired off furious email, copying every government official she could think of. Uh, and that day, her son called, excited to tell her he'd been let out of solitary at the state-run center where kids go after committing a crime. Um and so, yeah, that's a very poignant, poignant uh, description of of what's going on in our state facilities. That uh, until now, uh, until um, Inspector General Inspector General shined a light on it, and and your good reporting, um, yeah, this is this is kind of run under the radar. So anyway, Natalia, uh, dive into it. What are we missing here? Right. Um, so this one teenager is really just one example of the hundreds of teenagers who have been in this similar position in Nebraska juvenile centers. Um, I have the numbers that I wrote down in front of me. So in the past year, the increase from one year to the next went from the number of times solitary was used increased by 44, 44%. The number of hours that kids spent in solitary went up 32%, and then the number of kids who were affected by this went up 24%. So really across the board increases. Um, another data point that I forgot to mention was um, in that same amount of time, the number of solitary incidents that were getting resolved in less than 24 hours also went down. So these situations are being drawn out even longer. And I think one of the important things with the story is um, really pointing out that 2020 uh, change to statute that was really meant to curb use of these practices, place some limitations on when it can be used. 
um, I think the way it was phrased to me was, um, you know, this must be used for as little time as possible um, as an ultimate last resort. Yeah, because as you write in your story, um, research has shown that uh, solitary is known to have harmful and lasting effects. Um, and, and, and that's on adults, let alone children, uh, and sometimes lowering the child's uh, brain activity while upping the chance that he or she becomes chronically depressed uh, and attempts suicide. So, I mean, I think the research in recent years is, is fairly clear uh, that this is a practice that uh, has consequences. Right, right. And it's definitely it's definitely a complicated situation. Like I know someone was describing to me through the reporting process, um, you know, sometimes kids do get violent. Sometimes things do turn dangerous in these facilities. Um, but there's also uh, this school of thought of, you know, how can we verbally de- deescalate situations? How can we kind of try all those different alternatives before having to resort to something like room confinement? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and and so how prevalent is the use uh, of this uh, this method of confinement uh, here in our state amongst youth? Oh, I wish I had the statistics <laughs> right in front of me. I'm sorry. Um, well, but uh, obviously it's not an isolated case, right? I mean, right, right, yeah. Um, um, I mean, there are different facilities that this can be used at, and um, it looks kind of different depending on what building you're in. Um, So it really applies to the Nebraska Correctional Use Facility here in Omaha. That's um, basically the prison where kids are sent if they're tried as adults. Um, The YRTCs, which are handled by Department of Health and Human Services, and then the juvenile detention facility, so the county-run level where it's kind of like like jail before you've been sentenced, mm-hmm. but for juvenile court. Um, so this really happens in all different forms of where teenagers can be held. Um, the numbers vary depending on where you're looking. I think Carney was the one that um, had some pretty striking numbers. Same with um, the Douglas County Youth Center and the Lancaster Juvenile Facility whose official name I'm forgetting in this moment. Yeah, it's okay. Um, well, before we take this break here, Matthew, uh, again, thanks for thanks for the good uh, work that you guys are doing. And here's another example of stuff that, uh, of a story that really needs to be told. And uh, so anyway, thanks, Matthew, for joining us and uh, uh, appreciate it very much. Thanks, Ben. You bet. All right, Natalia, if you can stick around, we're going to take this quick little break and come back and continue our chat. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Monday edition. We're delighted you chose to tune us in. Uh, let me tell you what's coming up uh, in the second half of the show. We're going to continue talking about this important story. Uh, Jennifer Carter, uh, Inspector General of Nebraska Child Welfare, will join us uh, in studio in the second half of the show. And uh, and thanks to Matthew Hansen, editor of Flatwater Free Press, for jumping on here on the, uh, another busy day in the Flatwater newsroom. Uh, Nebraska's very first uh, nonprofit 
Nonprofit Newsroom. And uh, back uh, with us for the remaining half of this uh, segment, Natalia Amadari, an uh, uh, investigative reporter for Flatwater, uh, who's done, uh, again, just really important work digging into a story that's important uh, uh, for so many reasons uh, here in the state. Natalia, thanks for sticking around. Appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Well, and, and as you point out in your story, and we're going to get into this with uh, with Jennifer Carter, and the inspector general, in the second half of the show, but, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's been some controversy uh, because of an, of an AG opinion uh, that basically put uh, the inspector general on the sidelines. Uh, there's uh, basically a separation of powers uh, <clears throat> battle going on between the executive branch and, and the legislative branch of uh, what, what uh, the inspector general powers that they have and who can grant those. Um, a recent AG opinion said that uh, calling into question uh, their investigative powers uh, w- with with issues just like this. So, um, so that's that's an important part of this story. Right, right. And I mentioned it in the story. Um, it, it hits the ombudsman's office too because mm-hmm. um, you have families like. Miss Loman in the story, she's wanting to find out, you know, how's her son doing? She tries to file a complaint with the ombudsman's office. And before that AG opinion, they would have had that power to go to the YRTC, talk to the kid, talk to staff, kind of get a sense of what's going on, what what's kind of the context behind a family complaint. Um, but now they've really, they've, they don't have that ability anymore. They've been told, no, you only have the same access that the public has. So it's taking away one piece of that um, government watchdog ability that they did have. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. That needs to be. And I think there's, as I understand some legislation, uh, I think Senator Conrad introduced some legislation to, to try to solve that problem and deal with that. But uh, yeah. Well, Natalia, what else uh, uh, are you working on uh, coming up? Can any any previews of, of uh, stories that you're working on? Ooh, let me think. You asked that question <laughs> and my brain forgets everything I'm working on. That's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, this- I'm going to have a story this week about, um, you know, some legislation type stories this week. Um what else am I working on? You know, I'm the great ambassador reporter. I drive around yes, a lot. There's yeah. a couple small town stories in the mix. Um, everything's a little too early to preview. That's okay. Myself. It's only Monday. That's right. Well, I just want to give you that chance. Well, and and I always try to post uh, on the socials of Facebook and X uh, who my guests are going to be, and I lo- I use the photo of you and the buffalo out in the... Uh, I thought that was a very <laughs> appropriate photo, given Thank you. Yeah. my beat here. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought so, too. Well, and I think all of us are kind of waiting if there's a uh, another shoe to drop or another portion of the story about uh, the Seward County uh, law enforcement folks uh, that you've... Um, there's, a, there's a bill filed connected to forfeiture, um, so that's kind of one of the things I'm working on right now. Um, don't really know if it'll go far this session, but it is it is filed. We'll see if it gets the a committee hearing okay okay well we'll keep track of that because yeah for our listeners to remind remind our listeners uh you did some great <clears throat> investigative reporting on uh civil forfeiture uh going on in seward county by the uh, sheriff's department and uh yeah 
just mind-blowing activity that's going on. Uh, makes me think every time I drive down the, the uh, down I-80 past sewer, it's like, okay, I hope I, uh, well, anyway, I won't go into it. But I think I'm probably safe uh, based on uh, your story. But anyway, um, yeah, this is important stuff, uh, Natalia, and I appreciate uh, your work. And, and, and we're so fortunate to have you here in Nebraska, and uh, you've been all over the country and, and uh, got a great uh, education uh, in journalism. And so um, I love your, uh, your, um, your bio uh, when you're not reporting, you're baking, petting your cat, or trying out a new crafty hobby. So, yep, um, that's <laughs> pretty much all there is to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a great newsroom, and I, uh, you know, I kid Matthew about uh, uh, the great talent that uh, he's. Uh, uh, gathered from around the country and so I I just really appreciate your work and uh, the opportunity to feature what you guys do here every Monday so thanks very much appreciate it well thank you we appreciate the opportunity to talk about our work you bet natalia natalia amadari thank you for joining us uh, and we'll we'll keep track of what you're doing all right, great. You have a good rest of your day. Thanks, you too, as well. Um, well, uh, as we finish up here before the break, uh, the bottom of the hour here, I'll just remind you that uh, uh, coming up uh, in the second half of the show, Jennifer Carter, Inspector General for Nebraska Child Welfare, uh, will be in-house. And so we'll get her take on this story that, that she really broke uh, uh, in her uh, annual report uh, a few uh, few back so anyway uh and and hey just as i'm finishing up here uh how about those chiefs uh chris lofgren across the hall here we don't have johnny to tease but uh uh it was quite the football weekend i'll tell you that so uh we'll we'll keep track of the uh, swifties because uh I'm, I'm getting a little tired of the political bent that people are trying to put on the swift and uh taylor and uh, travis kelsey relationship but but uh, hey, uh, that's why we uh, live in this in in this country, so we can have those opinions. But anyway, uh, stick around for the second half of the show and uh, uh, enjoy the news. And we'll be back after this on fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out: everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Educating. Informing. Entertaining the Dan Parsons Show on fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN.
Hey, welcome back to the Monday edition. Thanks for sticking around. We've got a jam-packed show today, kids. It's uh, uh, it may be Monday here, but it's uh, you know we're not slowing down a bit. Uh, my thanks, uh, as we do every Monday, to have uh, Matthew Hansen, editor of Flatwater Free Press, on, and uh, my thanks to uh, Natalie Amadari for her good work on uh, a story we're going to continue to talk about uh, here in just a bit with Jennifer Carter, Inspector General for the State of Nebraska. Uh, uh, child welfare uh, and uh, let me just tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's show uh, if you think it's easy to run an airport um, it's not <laughs> let, me just, let me break the break the news to you it's not uh, we'll uh, chat with uh, Dave Herring uh, Dave, of course, executive director of Lincoln Airport. And so Dave will be on uh, tomorrow talking about the latest bad news of uh, uh, losing the flight to Houston. And so, you know, uh, Steve Hardesty, by the way, is uh, filling in for Johnny. Johnny's uh, coming back on a boat sometime. I think he's back uh, Wednesday, Steve. So. I, bel- I believe that's correct. So anyway, Steve, I, 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 what makes me most disappointed is I can't use my quip that I can get on a plane at 6 o'clock or 6.30 in the morning, fly to Houston, be in Austin, uh, and, and see my kiddos, and drinking beer and eating tacos by noon. So I don't know if I'll be able to say that anymore or do that. It doesn't seem right <laughs> that you're not able to do that. I know it. So anyway, so anyway, we'll catch up with Dave Herring tomorrow. Uh, so tune in for that. And I'll just remind you, if you're not following us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and the Facebook, uh, please do so. You can find out uh, who our guests are ahead of time. I usually post those sometime in the afternoon. Uh, and if you miss anything, you can always find us on your favorite podcast platform anytime you like, or just go to KLIN.com and scroll down on the Dan Parsons page and, and find us there. Well, okay, all that, all that out of the way. Jennifer Carter, welcome to the studio. Welcome to the Dan Parsons Show. Uh, Jennifer, of course, uh, is the Inspector General of Nebraska Child Welfare, uh, providing oversight and accountability for the Nebraska Child Welfare and Juvenile Justice Systems. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Happy Abs- to be here. Absolutely. Well, and as we, uh, in the pregame here, noted that uh, uh, we've come across each other in our professional lives, but this is the first time I've really had a chance to chat, and we get to do it live on air. Yes, so. it's great to be here. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of background. I know you're, uh, been an, uh, you, you are an attorney, and you've been involved in the Nebraska legislature for some years. So Yes, yeah, I am an attorney. Initially started in nonprofit and advocacy work, uh, including in child welfare. Uh, so always sort of have been looking at the more systemic issues, and then uh, I was, I really had the pleasure and honor of serving as um, the legal counsel for the Health and Human Services Committee under Sarah Howard, Senator yeah. Sarah Howard, when she was chair. Uh, and then um, as she was term limited out, and the initial, the first founding IG of Child Welfare, Julie Rogers, ended up uh, becoming our state's public counsel. And so, which is actually the ombudsman and the office in which uh, the IGs sit as well. And so I was, had been working on child welfare and juvenile justice issues as legal counsel. And so I was asked to apply and I got appointed in September of 2020. So in the, right in the middle of the heat of the pandemic. But so. And, and 
and we'll get into this a little later, but ironically, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, Senator Hilgers is one of the people that uh, helped with that nomination. Yes. Uh, under the statute, it is the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, uh, the chair of the exec board, which uh, at the time he was the chair of the exec board, which sort of is the board that oversees the legislature and um, and then uh, the ombudsman. So yeah. and they all work together to make the appointment. Yeah. Well, we'll get into in the second half of the show a little bit about uh, the controversy that's arisen with the uh, attorney general opinion about your office. So anyway, we, we'll save that to the second half of the show. Um, this story uh, that you really broke uh, in your annual report a, a couple months ago, right? Yeah, it was in December, yeah. Yeah. So uh, give our listeners uh, a little bit of background that led to this in-depth reporting by Flatwater. Sure. So in, um, and don't worry, I won't go that far back, but in 2016, uh, Senator Pansing Brooks uh, brought the legislation that initially said, we want to take a look at actually what's happening um, in juvenile facilities. And if children uh, and youth are being confined and what that looks like and there was just really no under i think clear data or understanding about that so the the main part of the legislation actually requires is the facilities um so as i was listening earlier as natalia was saying the youth rehabilitation and treatment centers and the detention centers um they have a documentation and a reporting requirement for whenever they confine a youth and that's defined as involuntarily placing a youth alone in a cell and they're separate from their peers um, and they're isolated in that way and, and the involuntary part is important because there are moments where a youth just says I, I just really need to cool off and that's great that is a pro sure. productive way sure. to self-regulate um, and so because of these documentation and reporting requirements they task the legislature tasks the uh, inspector general's office with reviewing the data and assessing what, what do we think it's showing? What information are we getting from it? Um, and then also looking at best practices and seeing if there are any recommendations we would make um, to the legislature, all with the goal of reducing the use of confinement um, as much as we can. Because as I talked with Natalia, <clears throat> Natalia in the first half of the show, um, I, I think the mental health uh, practitioners are fairly uh, certain uh, that even for adults, uh, long periods of time in solitary confinement can be very damaging uh, to the mental health of people, let alone what it must do to juveniles. Yes, absolutely. And, and so many of the youth in our juvenile justice system, I mean, really an overwhelming majority, have past trauma or what they refer to as uh, adverse childhood experiences, or you might hear the acronym ACEs. Okay. So these are youth who are bringing um, sometimes actual mental health diagnoses, sometimes just behavior issues and trauma with them. And um, so it can exacerbate that. Um, and to be fair, that trauma background also can exacerbate their behavior. So sure. we, you know, are in our annual report, so the law requires us to look at this annually, um, you know, we acknowledge this is it's it is a challenge for facilities sure. for sure, and sure. you have real safety and security Absolutely. concerns. But um, hopefully, the goal and and this is discussed nationally is how can we get ahead of those behaviors so that we are not having to use confinement. And in your research <clears throat> that you reported in your annual report back in December, um, you found that in the different facilities around the state. There are different uh, different lockup, different solitary 
confinement uh, situations. They're not all the same. Right. It's going to depend on the physical plant, essentially. Mm-hmm. So at the uh, YRTC and Kearney, they, um, their living areas are actually like uh, barrack-style dormitories. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't separate a youth there because you've got, you know, however many, 10 youth in, a, in one unit. Uh, so that they have a separate, more secure building um, that has individual rooms or they look a little bit more like cells. Um, and then in the uh, detention centers, they do each have their own room or cell. Um, and so it just kind of depends on the place where, because the law acknowledges um, confinement can be in the youth's own room. The point is the separation from peers. It's the isolation um, that is really what can be problematic and increase anxiety, depression, um, particularly if a youth is uh, already dealing with that. But it can, if for if you're isolated for a long time, it's going to create that. And uh, again, according to Natalia's story. And by the way, folks, if you missed <clears throat> that interview earlier. Uh, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But you can also encourage you, more importantly, uh, to go to flatwaterfreepress.org and read uh, read this story. But uh, there, there was some legislation that we thought dealt with some of this uh, recently, right? Yeah, and actually we point that out in our report that Nebraska's laws actually do a pretty good job following best practices. So in 2020, they added requirements so you shouldn't be using it as punishment um you shouldn't be using it just for administrative ease um and that when a ch- uh, youth is confined they have to have access to education all the things that their peers would have meals education lighting you know all of that kind of um normal stuff that would make it uh their time if they have to be isolated humane um and that is a lot of what the best practices talk about it's first let's use it as a last resort before you have tried every other least restrictive um ways of managing that behavior or the safety and security concern and then also um make it time limited for all the reasons we just discussed, mm-hmm. the longer the isolation, the more problematic and, and potential trauma to the youth. Um, and that you have to monitor the youth. They should have access to their belongings. So a lot of that is in Nebraska's law. Um, so that's great. Um, and we're going to, on the you know things that don't show up in the data, we say, as we say in the report, we're, we are assuming all of that's happening. <clears throat> I, I didn't read your full report. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a... It's a uh, Rather lengthy, yes. I, but I did. But your conclusion, this is part of your conclusion. If the goal of the state is to truly reduce the use of juvenile room confinement within juvenile facilities, <clears throat> excuse me, the legislature may need to further engage with these facilities to fully understand their challenges and determine what additional supports or resources are required to successfully facilitate the reduction in juvenile room confinement usage. Um, how do we get there? So there are models um, that we've noted in past reports from other uh, states, and it really is a full uh, staff-wide, you know, culture shift. Some of the things, and and some, uh, my understanding at the YRTCs is that some of their training is based on um, de-escalation earlier. So you get, ideally, you have a staff-to-youth ratio, and you have staff repeatedly with the same kids so they can notice oh 
I know that when that youth starts shaking their leg or pacing around the room, they're getting escalated. I can intervene and try to avoid actually getting to a place where we have a safety or security concern. So there are a diff- different kind of means, too. And there's physical plant issues, too, in terms of how you can actually do they have the space to separate youth because a lot of the issues in the community follow them in. We've got <clears throat> less than a minute here before I need to take a break, Jennifer. But what are we talking about in numbers here? What Again, without putting you on the spot, what are we talking about of juvenile, uh, just the overall juvenile population, and, and how big of a problem is this? Um, well, the numbers have increased since COVID. I would have to That's okay. do have a copy of my That's report. Okay. I have to look at the actual numbers. But certainly the numbers went down, and that helped with um, the staff-to-youth ratio. So that helped I think manage behaviors in a different way, but now we are seeing an increase again um, in youth being uh, ordered by the court into you know either being held in detention or being ordered to the YRTCs, and so um, that we that it does create a problem because if you've got only so many rooms and you have you know opposite or opposing gang members who are coming to the same facility for the same help. That, that is a challenge. And, and we know um, that there is an overcrowding uh, in the adult uh, facilities here in our state. In fact, we're even going to build a new one and, uh, and maybe or maybe not decommission the old one. So, uh, yeah, we know that uh, the prison populations, for adults anyway, uh, continue, the population continues to climb uh, here in the state. and We're overcrowded. So none of that helps uh, in the trickle down with with youth right. Right. right yes and you would hope and i think a lot of efforts are are made to uh, have alternatives to detention to have youth in the least restrictive environment initially can they be at home can they be at a different kind of facility in the community the, in fact they have to try all those things before they can go to a YRTC under the law so again the law is set up in i think in a lot of positive ways but do they have the resources? Do they have the staffing that they need? Do they have the training that they need? Do they have the physical plant that they need? And do we have the oversight, uh, the watchdog, to continue to look at those? And that's what we're going to talk about in the second half of this show, Jennifer, uh, if, if you can. Because, uh, yeah, there's been <clears throat> some questions and restrictions on the ability of you to even perform your job. So we'll dive into that uh, after these messages. Stick around. We'll be back with Jennifer Carter after these messages. Come on back. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back. It's a Monday. The sun is out. Well, it's kind of setting now, but uh, setting now. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's still uh, it's still nice and it's still above free. It's 48 degrees and tomorrow's going to continue the heat wave. So enjoy it while we can because we know we're not done with winter. Uh, well, let me tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's show. Uh, Lincoln Airport Executive Director, Mr. Dave Herring, is going to join us and uh, give a little update on what's been going on at the airport and uh so yeah we look forward to that and uh coming up on wednesday's edition speaking of attorneys i like to have smart people uh in the studio so uh looking forward to wednesday uh mr richard moberly dean of the university of nebraska school of law uh college of law excuse me will join us and uh get the latest on the trump trials and break that down in a factual way in an in, a, in an attorney legal perspective uh you know you can find all that um 
political commentary in a lot of different places. You can turn on your talking heads and other uh, talk radio shows. So anyway, we'll try to give you the facts and let you decide uh, what all that means. But we are back with Jennifer Carter, Inspector General for the Nebraska Child Welfare. Uh, Jennifer provides oversight and accountability for the Nebraska Child Welfare and the juvenile justice systems, as we've been talking about. Um, Well, Nebraska Attorney General Mike Hilgers, uh, in a non-binding opinion issued in August, stated that the inspectors generals of corrections and child welfare unconstitutionally infringed on the powers of the executive branch agencies uh, by having unfettered, Jennifer, unfettered access to their computer records and priorities. And so since that opinion came out in August, uh, state agencies have uh, obstructed your office from getting information about deaths, cases of abuse within the state child welfare system, uh, blocking your statutory obligation to invest and report on the performance of state agencies. Um, my goodness. Uh, that Did anybody see that coming? Uh, I mean, we knew that the uh, opinion had been requested. So, uh, Who requested that? I am not uh, clear, but the opinion itself um, lists who the, they're giving an yeah. answer to, which yeah. is, um, I think, a couple of committees in the, in the legislature. I, so. men- I mentioned off-air, <clears throat> and our listeners may recall this. Uh, early in my career, I worked in the state attorney general's office, and I'm not an attorney, uh, as the old joke uh, went as I was there. I just played on one on TV once in a while. So anyway, but I, I'm familiar with some of the inner workings of the Attorney General's office, and those legal opinions are not binding. Correct. And so anyway, give us a little background on uh, on that occurrence, and then how how you've been able or not been able to do your job since then. It has uh, certainly had a really significant effect uh, to have. You know, we are in the business of government accountability and for that to happen it has to be true independent uh, view impartial which is is part of our training and we are certified as IGs to do that and a lot of to to have that happen you need to have access to information and confidential information and that is what we used to and then we are under very strict confidentiality provisions um, as a result and what it has done uh, as for the child welfare side in particular is um, the main part of our work was to look at deaths and serious injuries that happen in the system. And and to be very clear, which I know can be confusing for folks, we did not do a law enforcement investigation. That is, law enforcement, we're not looking at whether a crime was committed. That's somebody else's expertise. We're actually not even uh, looking at whether the death or serious injury resulted from abuse and neglect. The Department of Health and Human Services does that investigation, and then they decide uh, the foster parent, you know, we're going to revoke their license or we're going, what you know, what have you. Our job is to say, how did government work up to that point? Um, and how was the case handled? And are there ways that we could have reduced the risk to that child? Um, that's where our sort of task of creating recommendations um, comes in. And actually just looking at the whole system to say, 
are there gaps um, in the sure. system? And, and we, in fact, we released a report last year that we said, you followed, department, you did everything you're supposed to do under your rules and regulations, and yet we had an infant nearly starved to death yep. in care. Yep. So, hey, we think there might be a gap in the system. Yeah. So that's the kind of work we do. And the challenge now, since the AG's opinion has been, um, since September 1st and really even into August, we... Uh, by the law, are supposed to be notified of any death or serious injury um, of a child in a facility. Keep going. Oh, uh, providing a family who's receiving services or uh, where there's been an investigation of child abuse and neglect. Um, and so we've not received any of those notifications. <laughs> um, and so it me- there, there was a report released by HHS um, a quarterly report that said there were had been six deaths in that last quarter, which is actually fairly high, even if some of them are medical. Um, we'd had no, we still don't know how many serious injuries because they just put an asterisk. What's the fix? There's been legislation introduced. Yes, yep, LB thirteen twenty one is out there. Two other uh, bills as well, and so we are hoping um, that we can clear this up and get back to some real accountability. Jennifer Carter, thank you very much. Sorry, we we need to continue this conversation sure. again. Uh, I'd like that very much. Uh, I also serve on the Cedars board, so I have I have some skin in the game on both of those uh, topics. So anyway, folks, that's the show. Thank you to Jennifer Carter, Flatwater Free Press. Uh, go do some good things on this beautiful January evening, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Talk then.